Welcome back to the Pod of Greed. It's right another week. More Yu-Gi-Oh, more games. More AI? Maybe. Uh, Maybe. So, a bit of a quick recap. We actually went to uh, an anime convention this past weekend. Yeah. Anime Frontier uh, in in Texas. Really fun trip. Yeah, saw a lot of fans. Yeah, a lot of fans. A lot of, uh, I got to meet a lot of you guys. And it was nice. We took a lot of pictures. Saw some really cool cosplay as well. Oh, yeah. I remember we saw a Jade and a Cyrus. Yeah, Jade and Cyrus duo. That was very cool. We saw a Dark Magician and Dark Magician girl. Also very cool. The Dark Magician was on Dark Side of Dimensions. Theme. And then we saw a Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon. I didn't see that. Me neither. But it would yeah. be cool. Come on, somebody do it. Yeah, I did see like a Pegasus. Um, I didn't see Pegasus. Yeah, I saw a Pegasus and I saw, uh, there's like one other kind of cool Yu-Gi-Oh cosplay. Oh man, those are the ones I, I saw. I meant other ones. I saw like a, there was a giant Gundam. I think, I don't know, you know which I one never did see the uh, giant Gundam. I'm yeah, there's a giant Gundam and there was a uh, Dr. Octopus or whatever. From oh, Doc Ock? Yeah. Doc Ock from Spider-Man. That. Yeah, that was a really good cosplay, so. Just all in all, a very cool event. Um, good time. Uh, shout outs to those of you guys that we got to meet there. And shout outs to you guys who might meet at future events. Yeah, you never know what conventions and stuff will be at. I will say I have found myself really enjoying uh, anime conventions as a mm. sort of means of celebrating uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, fandom alongside just general anime fandom. Yeah, every anime fan's a Yu-Gi-Oh fan deep down. Yeah, to some degree, I think that is true. Somewhere inside you. Yeah, so anyway, um, hopefully you guys are having a good week. Hopefully you're enjoying the podcast. Make sure, of course, that you drop a like on YouTube or a comment. Um, and if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or Google or Amazon, a positive review goes a long way. Speaking of review. Speaking of review, uh, I actually am trying to figure out, first of all, how to, like, Easily find Spotify reviews because I don't have a Spotify account. So then just make one. I can never like find the Spotify reviews, but I think I should have an interesting Apple Podcasts review at least. It's gonna be our first one star. Yeah, so um this is an interesting one. This is from Chewy1061. He says, I've been listening to slash watching the podcast since day one, and each episode keeps getting better. Paul and Alec make great content and are not afraid to be brutally honest. <laughs> the podcast is more of a discussion with a friend that they turn into a podcast versus something that's scripted. It's not just about one topic, and they explore a lot of different areas in other TCGs. Please keep this going and keep up the awesome podcast. We will try. Sweet. Thanks. We appreciate it. As always, five stars goes a really long way. Helps us uh, get up in those algorithms and just reach more people because I've been having a lot of fun with this podcast. I don't know if I've told you. I look forward to it like each week. And I just get by. Yeah. Don't take him too seriously. He likes it, I promise. Um, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, okay. So there's Yu-Gi-Oh! news, of course, to be talked there's about. always Yu-Gi-Oh! news. There was actually a YCS this past weekend. YCS. Bologna. Bologna. I know. As I was I just informed, actually. I did, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know how to say <laughs> that. Like, going into that event, I was like, yeah, I don't have no clue what these people are talking about. I had to go to Wikipedia and have it tell me how it's pronounced. I'm not cultured. Um, it's but Italian. It, but I, I, my understanding is it is Bologna. And congratulations to Joshua Schmidt. Uh, he won the event using a bestial runic deck. All which, right. That's the end of the story. Yeah. I mean, there's not. I, I, well, I'm going to be honest here. I don't. You know, I have not kept up a lot with the competitive TCG scene, so I can't exactly speak to, uh, you know. But I, I can speak to the fact that anytime Runic's in the conversation, I'm seeing my way out. 
Yeah, I know people don't love runics too much, but um, this was a kind of an interesting take on runic. It's not one that's been done too often before. Um, typically, you know, people think of runic as something that you maybe combine with sprite or maybe combine with floodgates. Um, but combining it with bestials was kind of an interesting way to make it a little more aggressive, since I think the runics were being used both for control and as combo starters and extenders. Was my understanding of his very deck list. interesting. So. Yeah. Joshua Smith, he's won a few YCSs, right? Yeah, Schmidt. Schmidt. What Schmidt. did I say? S- Smith. Oh yeah, that's Smith. <laughs> yeah. I did say Smith. Yeah, he's won. He's won a few YCS events. Uh, I don't know like exactly how many, but I know he's been competing for a very long time and has gotten a lot of results. And some people compare him to Jesse Cotton as like sort of the the European like Jesse Cotton, the European goat. Yeah, which like it's always a little, <laughs> maybe slightly disrespectful. Like you're, you're like you're like the English. Uh, yeah, you're, you're the English Michael Jordan or something. You're the English, like you know. But either way, um, really, they're just two individuals who are very, very good at this game. Yeah, like kind of ungodly talented. Really, I've gotten the chance to talk to Joshua Schmidt a couple of times. Once on a podcast, and another time actually just at uh, Worlds in Japan this past year. Uh, really, really intelligent guy, and he has some really good insights into the game. And I also think that um, he sets a good uh, example for what like a competitive player should be like. I don't think that he is. He doesn't seem like you know super uppity about like mm-hmm. his own opinions or thinking that like competitive plays like the only way Yu Gi Oh can be enjoyed. And that you know if you're not if you can't get with that, then get out. You know that's a I think I've seen his YouTube channel. Yeah, I see his videos every now and again. Uh, he does, like, discussions and stuff. Yeah, he, he does discussions, talks about just the format, ban list, products, um, all kinds of things. I think he's really informative. And I actually would say that he and Jesse Cotton, I know they both make content. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's probably a good thing if you're a like a, a really you know tippy-top competitive player. Turning that into content, I think, is a good idea. Especially since you're not going to make any money winning these tournaments. That's true. Konami isn't paying anybody to to really like win a YCS or whatever. So I think that the next best thing is to take your results and acclaim and then use that uh, authority that you kind of gain, at least among that crowd, to make informative content or share your opinions and kind of turn yourself into more of a brand than just a top player. I will say that's one of the uh, more positive things that have come out of like post-pandemic Yu-Gi-Oh! is uh, we actually get content from our top players now more than ever mm-hmm. i know many of them offer like coaching and whatnot but then they also share their insights just for free on social media mm-hmm. that I mean that's just more information i think players have ever had that's true because there was a period of time in Yu-Gi-Oh where that wasn't really the case like the only times that you heard from top players was <clears throat> maybe when like their deck profile was being recorded at the end of an mm-hmm. event or, like, kind of occasional little sparse bits, but they largely kept themselves, so... And I think that's what kind of may... That may have created the whole, like, obsession with, like, what is the list? What is the list? And not is... What are, where are his thoughts? What are his thoughts? Yeah. Um, that's true. I mean, I think, like, for a lot of players, they are looking for a beacon of, like, kind of... How can I... An, an anchor through which to view the format. And mm. I think these top players sharing their opinions is becoming that. and That's way more beneficial than just getting a deck list. Yeah, it's a little more beneficial than just seeing a deck list. And it's also probably more beneficial than, like, you know, just arguing with people in the Facebook group of your favorite archetype, you know, 
Hey, 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 hey. The Plunder Patrol Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that those groups are bad. Obviously, there's benefits to them, too. But I think that it's nice to get some insight from people who are really getting out there and getting the results as well. Mm-hmm. So, congratulations to him. The Top 64 breakdown was, um, well, he won with Bistio Runic. There were uh, 2,488 players at the event. 12 rounds of Swiss with the Top 64 cut. Um, finals were uh, Bistil Runic versus Anthony Lopez on, or Lopes, because I don't know if it's, it's actually like a... Anyway, the point is, uh, Diabell Star Rescue Ace was the other deck Fair. in the finals. That, that makes sense. That makes so the top sense. 64 breakdown was 14 Diabell Star Rescue Ace decks being the most popular thing. I've heard people already complaining about that deck a little bit. 10 TR elements. Um, six of them were Horus builds. Nine Labyrinth decks, four were Unchained hybrids, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Six Pure Unchained, four Diabell Star Fire King. Now, that's pretty exciting, because we know that the Fire King King structure deck just released. By the way, uh, if you haven't already, check out our 3X Fire King duel video. That's right, we played against the uh, Crimson King. Nowhere near the uh, level of play of these 64 players, I'm sure, but... Fun and enjoyable, nonetheless. I know I'm going to summon twice in a turn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you filthy cheater. You tried to cheat me. How dare you try to cheat your best friend in There's a So many special in summons a duel. in a turn. You can, you can just kind of forget like what you've done and what you haven't done. Four Centurion decks. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's, that, that is cool. Kind of makes make a splash. Four Pirelli decks. Two Vanquishold. Two Diabellstar Makonko. Two Branded Chimera. One Bistial Runic. One Bistial Dragon Link. One Diabell Star Infernoble Knight, one Kashdira, one Marincess, and one Therion Sun Avalon Rika. Why can't Snake Eyes make the list? I mean, they run Diabell Star too. Yeah, seems like people. Why do they do it no. worse? Yeah, people are doing to them. It's a bit of a shame, really. I mean, I thought the Snake Eyes cards were really cool. Hopefully, the goblins at least make a splash. They and won't. Nothing else. But we do know from the OCG that Snake Eyes do get a lot better when they get their next cards. Yeah. Uh, I saw that Pack made uh, top eight at the event, so that oh, was. Oh yeah, neat. I did follow. I, I followed his run through Twitter. Yeah, it was awkward because I forgot that that was in Italy and the hours were completely different from ours. And that's just kind of the fun part about following like a, events in other countries because like they wrap up like on like kind of early early Sunday morning mm-hmm. or something, and like that's when you're seeing the finals, and it's like, huh, it's kind of. I was like, wasn't I just reading day one coverage? How is he already in day two? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, I, I watch competitive Smash, and so sometimes when there's, like, a Japanese tournament or, um, like, a tournament in Europe or something, they will end much, like, very, very, very early Sunday morning. That's, like, the very end of it. Whereas if you watch in the States, you're used to it, like, ending on Sunday night at times. So, um, yeah, a cool event. It's nice to know that competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! is just, you know... It's doing the thing. Alive and well. It's alive and well. People are happy. More players are, you know, traveling across continents to go to these YCSs now. For sure. I think something with that is that, like, it almost feels like for a lot of people. I know some people on, like, the world's points grind. That's, like, a thing where, you know, you get, like, these points for playing in these events. um, And you can qualify for worlds in that way. But also, it just seems as though there's kind of this... uh, Need for validation across, you know, just your your country's borders. Like, where are you really a top player if you can't kind of win in every territory possible? Because we've seen a lot more people traveling to South America mm-hmm. and Europe and, like, playing in these events to try to prove themselves. And I think that's and good. And many of them have. Uh, 
Yeah, like I think one thing that we if if, if there's one thing that we have seen is that a lot of the same people do like top consistently like clearly this is not a game of luck there is luck in Yu-Gi-Oh but that does not decide who wins exactly like I think that luck plays a role for sure but now that we're seeing so many of the same players getting these repeated spots um yeah I mean I think that that it should let you know there is a little something more Mm -hmm. going and at play here um so yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this YCS. It seems like people generally enjoyed watching it. I didn't hear any like major controversies, but um, it is a slightly a good segue to a slightly related topic. Uh, Konami Europe just does the best job with coverage. They, I mean, with our experience with the Konami, uh, they're much freer. <laughs> yeah, uh, Konami Europe, I think, gets a little bit uh, get a longer leash than uh, Konami US does with uh, how they cover Yu Gi Oh. Uh, I was just following it kind of loosely on Instagram, Facebook stuff I'd seen, and they just do so much more. Like, they do these cool promo videos for the events. They really showcase, like, the players front and center. Um, They take pictures of, like, oh, here's your top 32, here's your top 8, like, players, and the kind of, like, these player intros, and they have infographics with stuff, and... I want to say it's much more modern, but really, it feels like that's the bare minimum of what an event should be. Yeah, I'm always surprised that the U.S. isn't doing more, given that the U.S. has, like, more YCS events and generally larger ones. So you would think that, like, Konami U.S. would put more effort into, like, making the U.S. events feel special. But I feel like every other tournament for card games and video games get more promotion, more marketing. Yeah, I, I guess it feels like Konami Europe actually, they, they're, they're a little bit more, like, in tune with what the players want as well. Like, just they, they showcase the prizes. They've got announcers, like, hype men. Like, at a Yu-Gi-Oh! tournament in, in America, never. You know what I mean? But yeah, Hey, 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 hey. Jerome will be right there. Yeah. He'll, <laughs> Jerome and Billy. And, uh, and locked in. So maybe they can kind of change that, I think, for next year. That would be, a, like, my... I think that should be Konami's New Year's resolution. Make this YCS, these US YCS events a little they more exciting get the, to watch. Um, the uh, the ring announcers for like boxing events mm-hmm. to uh, to hype up Yu Gi Oh events. That actually let's cool. get ready to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't hate it. I mean, you know, just have some put some 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 pomp and flair like, into in this quarter. Five time YCS champion. What if they had that, though, actually? That'd be sick. And you got to have a walkout theme? I mean, it was... Because they, they kind of do that at Worlds, but it's not, not really much, the though. same. A walkout theme. Like, you get to pick... The player pick gets to pick their music. own music. They would a, never... That'd they be would, a problem. Yeah, they would that never. Be a yeah. But, I mean, just something like that could be could be kind of fun. Um, yeah, I think that's it for the YCS, unless I'm forgetting something. Uh, yes, no, maybe. No, I don't remember hearing too many things. So to be fair, because of the timing of the event, I I missed a lot of live coverage for it. Yeah, and we were also like out of town, so I wasn't following as closely as I maybe could have been. Any other Yu-Gi-Oh news? So there is a new archetype that was announced in the OCG. There is, yeah, the Fire Dragon. So I got Bright Fleet Dragons. Okay. So what's their deal? So. Now, I think the translations are a little weird because they call them the Bright Fleet Dragons in this title, but then the direct translations seem to be like bestowed dragons. Mm-hmm. It's an archetype of fire dragons, so the era of fire continues. Mm-hmm. And they all have 
battle phase effects? Yeah, I saw somebody on Twitter comparing them to like war rocks, basically. Like they were just the fire dragon warlock, war, war, war rocks, not warlocks. Like I'm seeing a lot, looks like the, a lot of the main deck monsters have a quick effect to let you synchro summon during the battle phase, mm-hmm. which feels late, but let, let's see what the synchros do. Well, I know that one of the synchro monsters uh, that I saw, I don't know if there's multiple, but I saw one that, like, locks the battle phase up where, like, your opponent can't use any effect during it and also, like, forces them to attack. Yeah, that's the uh, the big level 10 synchro. Mm-hmm. The level 2 synchro, it can special summon another one of your fire dragons from the grave, which means that can probably do a synchro summon to make your level 10. Mm-hmm. But also it says if three or more attacks have been declared this turn... Quick effect, you can special summon this card from your graveyard, then you can destroy one spell or trap card in the field. So essentially, you get into the battle phase, you synchro summon into the smaller dragon, and then use its effect to get another one of your tuners on board to synchro summon to the bigger dragon. And then, as if you can, can do three attacks, which, can the big one attack more than three times? No, it cannot. So you have to have, like, three separate attacks on your battle phase. You can then make the big guy get its effects, and then summon the little guy from the grave and then get its effect to pop something. It feels underwhelming. Oh, you weren't too impressed? No. Uh, mostly because you are trying to both get attack and then do all your disruptions in the battle phase. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but you're probably right. Like, a battle phase-centric <clears throat> archetype is just never really going to be able to do a lot in Yu-Gi-Oh! I mean, you have to really break it quite now, a bit. I do like that they say um, the condition is if three more attacks were declared during the turn. Yeah. So the attacks don't actually have to go through and you don't have to win the battles. But, oh my gosh, it sounds so Well, it's not like you can difficult. also do their things in your opponent's turn. So, yes. like, if your opponent's attacking, which I think their big monster forces your opponent to attack, um, then you can still kind of trigger off some effects. I'll have to go in and read it a little bit more closely. It can lightly lock your opponent out of their main phase one. If nothing else, it means that they don't want to go into their battle phase mm-hmm. with too many monsters on board. Because if you can force them to attack, you know, you know, you can do some things with that. Yeah, I think that the design also looks really cool. It does evoke Trident Dragon, which mm-hmm. I think that's that old old dragon. I used to love that card as a kid. <clears throat> I pulled a. Uh, like an ultimate rare copy, I think, or like a, maybe it's an ultra as a kid. And I was just like, oh my God, this looks amazing. I want to make a deck around it. And I did, and it sucked. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, but it was cool looking. And that's what matters sometimes. So, looking, I just kind of scrolled a little bit. I saw the field spell. The field spell is actually extremely important. You know mm-hmm. why? Why? It says. Fire dragon monsters you control are unaffected by your opponent's activated effects during your main phase one. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That and necessary. Like, yeah. very necessary. Yeah, for, for for an archetype like this with this sort of a gimmick. And it's it's a modern field spell because it does that. When you activate, you get that. You, you can add a card and then it has a destruct uh, an effect where if it gets destroyed, you can double one of your attacks. So, you know, it's another archetype that desperately needs his field spell to really get going yeah the usual well this one seems pretty cool i mean it's just coming in legacy of destruction i believe <laughs> let me check the set name this right. is legacy of destruction yeah yeah is that where the melodious cards come to i don't know i saw that there were new melodious 
cards. I saw one of them, but I forgot to actually grab the, the, story. There's, the there's the Melodious and the Melodious Maestros. Ooh, um, do I don't have, have them pulled up. I either. can pull it up in a second. Give me one but, um, moment. I, I'm not gonna lie. When I read these cards, I just did, I didn't. Uh, I I'd forgotten that Melodious was a type, like an archetype. Wow, someone doesn't really like bad. Arc Five. Yeah, I feel really bad because it's like, man, sometimes these archetypes just they come and go. They do. Like and they, Melodious they is certainly uh, forgettable. Yeah, like it was never, you know, obviously at the top, you know, tables of competitive play. But uh, it's one of those that really slipped my mind. Um, I know that they have these kind of fusion monsters. Their fusion monsters are I fairly to difficult to uh, to get up. Well, either way, they got some new ones. Yeah. I saw the, the main effect of the big new fusion monster is that it can banish Melodious cards... Um, until the end phase and bounce your opponent's mm-hmm. cards as a quick effect. And it can do that each turn, obviously, so that makes it really quite strong. It does give you something that the Melodious monsters were missing, because uh, I well, I didn't play a lot of Melodious in the TCG. I did play them in Duel Links. And uh, so, of course, I was missing cards, but they don't have a lot of interruption for your opponent. They yeah. make a bunch of monsters that are hard that are hard to get rid of, but they don't actually like, stop your opponent from doing much. So this one actually does let you stop your opponent. It's a quick effect. So yeah, that's always going to be kind of a thing with uh, with Yu Gi Oh. Is like older archetypes tended to not have interruptions when they were designed. Mm-hmm. Like their boss monsters didn't really negate things, and that's sort of the standard that you compare most decks to now. It's like like yeah, does your inboard sort of interrupt your opponent's plays. It's not enough to just have a monster that maybe can't be targeted or something. Because in a weird sense, right now, every deck is invincible on its turn in a weird sense. Like, yeah, if you saying. don't if you don't have an interruption, you probably just lose. Mm-hmm. Any de- Almost any deck will just take you out of the game if it gets a full turn uninhibited. Yep. So decks like Melodious, decks, any deck that came out in the past that doesn't have new support... Gonna struggle a lot. Yeah, it is. Uh, so good for Melodious and good for these new fire dragons. It does continue that fire propaganda. Konami seems to be. Pushing. It's a fire era, y'all. Like I don't hate it. I mean, I really think like fire deserves this. Like they they have gone years <laughs> just being like truly pretty awful. Like arguably the worst like attribute. Maybe wind is worse. I don't know, but like. For, for right now, fire's like it's on top. There's Infernoble, when, there's Snake Eye, there's Rescue Ace, you know. When was the last time a particular attribute had the game in a chokehold? I mean, like Dark this? always. I mean, I mean other, like, than, yeah. other than Dark. Dark is almost always kind of at the top. Okay, of the meta and then game. I guess Light's in second place. I think there. that the last time I remember that happening was the Mermail Fire Fist days, where like those two were like kind of the competing Just decks. Water, it was like fire versus fire. water. Very fun thematic. Like mm. thing, but other than that, like you don't often I was so see mad. that. <laughs> I was so mad when I realized I'd missed that format because mm-hmm. that was almost right before I got back into the game, mm-hmm. and um, I was just mad. I was like, "That's such a cool like them- thematic, thematic format," and I missed it. And so you guys might know I've tried to make Fire Fist competitive multiple times. It doesn't to work. Not, they don't success. age well, and uh, yeah. it just sucks. I want to. I want to be in the fire water for yeah. I mean, it sounds like maybe they might be doing it again. Like at the next structure deck, because I mean, they just did a fire king structure deck. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder. Maybe will they? Will we get like a mermail revival? Could be. Because if so, could then be. that could kind of usher in this like fire water 
that dichotomy. Maybe again. they'll do a um a structure deck R version of that one of the deck that brought us like Neo Daedalus and stuff. Yeah, they could they could do that, or even just the Atlantean structure because the Atlantean structure. Oh, yeah, was the that one was that, a structure. I forgot. Yeah, they actually have like lore with fire. Games. That was a Neptibus. Ne- well, Neptibus came later, oh, but it was okay. just like just it was um the first three or four Atlantean monsters: heavy infantry, uh, marksmen. I must not have been playing when that one. Came yeah, you out. might not have been. That makes sense. But yeah, that was kind of what helped kick off Mermails because the Mermails discard waters and the mm. Atlantis in the waters, and they get a. They just work perfectly. A very fun time. Well, anyways, um, fast forwarding a bit to some Master Duel news. There's not a lot uh, to be had this time around, but basically, Master Duel, um, the Duelist Cup has started again. Mm-hmm. The December Duelist Cup. This time, it's looking like it'll be at least slightly different because there's a different ban list in play. It's um, always a different balance in play with this game. Yeah, with Master Duel, there's a lot. Um, Zodiacs are now kind of part of the equation again, and they've been seeing some success. The most popular version being a Zodiac uh, oh, Cash Tira. Oh, Cash. Kind of hybrid, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Setting up things like Arise Hard or even really just Fenrir alongside of like Zodiac Dryden or two. Pretty Dryden. deadly. Uh, and also, like the Dragon Rulers are back. They have not so far made any impact. All right, I I can see the self satisfaction on your face. <laughs> yeah, I'm very that. happy to prove to people. I mean, I, I really think like Master Duel has become a good way to at least prove to people that Dragon Rulers aren't. If you give really them to me at much. three, we'll do something. Yeah, give them to give them to people at three. I think that that could be We're like a do thing, something with three of them. Yeah, so that's been around. Um, they released a Tri Brigade Shurag mate. Actually, it's a deluxe mate. So oh, okay, so. The last deluxe mate was the uh, laundry dragon mate, right? Yeah, or it might have been the the guy of the. Oh, is that one also champions. deluxe? Yeah, it's also oh, okay. deluxe. It does a little battle phase thing. <clears throat> so there aren't too many deluxe mates, but when there are, they're quite cool. What does the Shurig do? Uh, it, like shoots his gun like during the battle phase, hmm. or something. I haven't actually seen it yet, but I think that I'd assume it's. I've seen the shooting animation. Like, it shoots his little gun. I think it's either in the battle phase or maybe when you link summon. It has to do more than that because, I mean, my Hanzo mate throws a shuriken. Like, he's not deluxe. So, so. yeah, I'm assuming it, he might, like, change position and, like, take aim, you know? like Maybe he, he flies off or something. That'd be funny. He just leaves. It's like, he doesn't come back. You're for starting the rest to of lose the, the game. He just goes. Yeah, he's out. <laughs> yeah, you, you flubbed this one. Um, so that's pretty cool. Nothing too major. I mean, the Duelist Cup, it's, like I said, it's underway. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it gets to be as, uh, toxic as maybe the last one was perceived to be. How far are you going? I'm not actually playing. I'm not doing any of the Duelist Cup. Like, I, I, I know last time there was a lot of drama around it, uh, and I played a tad bit of the Duelist Cup last time. I do not intend to play it this time. Not I, at all. Nah. But you've but, been enjoying Rescue Ways. I mean, I haven't really been playing that as much. I've been playing a little more Vanquish Soul, just for then, fun. Then run it with Vanquish Soul. Go yeah. win. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not Go punch your that. ticket to Worlds. <laughs> yeah, you wish. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure people will enjoy the Duelist Cup plenty in my absence. Uh, I my mental health will thank me for it. The Duelist Cup just seems like it's a lot of stress, and uh, maybe I'll play like to get the gems up, but I won't play like stage two. That could be a he gets his points, and then he says he's not going to Yeah, I your points, give your gems. Um, however, it was kind of funny I saw on Reddit. I have not a proper Reddit thread that I was going to bring up, but one funny thing I saw, like, earlier this week is that there's a theory that people have that, like, um, in the Duelist Cup, like, qualifying matches, Konami is, like, sort of, I guess, 
tugging the strings of the deck shuffling algorithm to it's, it's very conspiracy but um to like make it where people pull slightly like the hands are more extreme basically okay. so like people think like hand traps show up more and like powerful starter cards show up more um because like somebody uploaded some replay that where like their opponent had like imperm maxi and Ash, and just stopped everything they tried to do in their turn, and then when the Brahones' turn started, they just had, like, Mathematic Circular, and just kind of OTK'd them from there. And, obviously, it's conspiracy. I mean, like, I know Master Duel has a random deck shuffler. Some people have, like, these ideas that, like, the deck shuffler is rigged, or in some way, like, you know... What's the point of a theory that can't be proved? Yeah, I mean, Who knows? Maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe Konami is... I, I like okay, if if we entertain it for a bit, like just the idea that maybe they are like making ha- more extreme hands or more extreme mm-hmm. draws, um, it would be interesting if they basically took cards that were like that have like high win rates and were just sort of like, yeah, we're going to make those cards show up in opening hands more often. That could be like a funny thing. But it's, what's weird about that is. Uh... I guess it would ruin the competitive integrity of the game, but I guess we can't do yeah, anything about prove it. it. We right? can't prove it or do anything. So. so yeah, I mean, I guess it makes for more exciting, intense dueling action, eh? Sure. Yeah, or, or something, <laughs> something akin to that. So I'm telling you, I wouldn't be very excited if my opponent uh, drew every hand trap and just shut me out the yeah, game. Yeah, I, I think that it, it can almost create like if you look at like there's a little too much intensity. Mm-hmm. Like, just for games to be, you know, like, everything you do gets hand-trapped, and then your opponent has the one-card starter. Like, it just... And, and like, if, if that happens, like, you know, just every single time, like, it would quickly burn people out, so... And, like, and it can't happen every single time. Like, or statistically, it can't. Now, I, I think... If you play just three games, like, you know, maybe there's a chance. I think Master Duel's one of those things, too, where it probably gets a little bit anecdotal. Like you, you remember the worst experiences, the most extreme times when you, mm. when your opponent had everything and like they stopped all your plays and they OTK'd you and so, um, yeah, like I think with that like in mind, it it's probably just people complaining. Uh, however, I do have another Reddit thread that I this is like a I guess loosely related issue. Um. It's this meme. Um, I don't know if you've seen this meme format. I'll put it up on the screen. Let's see. But basically, it's like... I've seen the format before. Yeah, it's that meme format where the guy, like, you know, accepts his medal and is like, you know, yeah, like, I won this medal. uh, But in reality, like, he's, like, kind of in last place and there's, like, a bunch of bad Mm -hmm. things to be ashamed of. So the way this one basically goes is, like, um, this guy with the, the medal in his mouth, he's like, you know... TCG best format. We aren't idiots who leave Max C unbanned. You know, fuck OCG, fuck Master Duel. Um, best of three, baby, as God intended. But uh, then, like, I guess some of the other things that he does not consider in the meme are that uh, Master Duel allows you to have, like, monthly ban lists, monthly events. It's free to play. You can play more than once a week at locals. Um, it has some the most play more hype worlds event. You know, that sort of thing. So, uh, it, 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 this was a meme that, like, wasn't super well received. Some people didn't really like the implied animosity between TCG and OCG. 
But I have noticed that there's a little bit more of it these days. Should we start wearing like shirts to rep our gangs? Like, yeah, TCG. Like, you gotta get a master dual shirt. I have to wear a TCG shirt, and uh, we won't be able to be friends anymore. Uh, There's been some discourse that, like, you know, that the OCG, like master dual, and just the OCG in general, is like a fake Yu-Gi-Oh format. Fake in the sense that it's got maxi legal, so therefore it must be like kind of fraudulent or invalid in some way. I mean, if you only play the TCG, then I guess that makes some sense. Yeah, like a lot of TCG players have said that. Um, some people also think that the OCG is just a beta test. And that, <laughs> like, you know, people, yeah, like if you're an OCG player or you play in the OCG, you're just being, you know, you're, you're being part of the beta test where they just release cards in the OCG and then, like, balance them for the TCG. So, but I mean, if you but if someone just played Masador, I feel like they could have similar feelings about the TCG. It just filled with a bunch of old people who who like they don't know technology and <laughs> they they are they play Yu Gi Oh with paper cards because it's the only way they've ever known. Well, so I thought this would actually be a great opportunity to kind of compare and contrast them with our own sort of personal anecdotes about it. Oh, okay, right? You know, maybe absent of just I know there's like a lot of online debate about like formats and which one's better and worse uh i mean tcg ocg like which one would you say you uh having played them both to some degree which one do you enjoy more or when you were so, playing them enjoyed more or it's when we say when we say ocg we're talking about master sorry Duel? tcg versus master Duel. i think ocg is ah, okay. not really a relevant okay, okay. part i shouldn't have said um, that because like we neither of us have like you know really gone to japan <clears throat> enough to like play hmm that's a tough one so because for years i mean I only play TCG, but not even necessarily competitively. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I in think the shoes of the average right player, now, maybe. I like Master Duel more. Okay. Just be, uh, because of my current like situation with the game, the uh, the TCG's meta game is a pre- is is kind of far above my head at this point, point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really care to learn like to learn to compete. I know I, I learned the rules and like how to play, but I, I don't really care to like compete and uh, compete at a high level with the game anymore. Master Duel takes a lot of that edge off. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm not competitive in Master Duel by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that it kind of guides my like the process of dueling, it yeah. makes a lot. Of, it makes it a lot easier. So if you're very casual, I think it, you kind of can't beat Master Duel just because. You, it's hard to play Yu-Gi-Oh any more casually than that. I mean, I suppose so. Yeah, I. So for me, obviously, I'm a little biased. I play a lot of Master Duel. Um, I have not played a lot of TCG. I have found that uh, Master Duel also fills my needs better. Like I just want to get into Yu-Gi-Oh duels. Like for me, I just want to duel. I don't really care how I do it per se. But with Master Duel, it's nice just to be able to, like, queue up. And I like the presentation and the look so much mm-hmm. that that really kind of, that, that keeps me in and keeps me invested. Um, it's a lot more exciting than also even, like, watching, like, Dueling Book or EDO Pro, which are much more rudimentary. And I think the most important part to that point is just that, like, I don't have to, like, sleeve up cards, drive to locals, and, like, play in a tournament where I will... Um, you know, I pay 10 bucks and I drive all the way there, but I'm only regularly getting, like, three or four rounds of play. And yet I'm there for, like, you know, four or five hours. And in that right. same amount of time in Master Duel, I can get a lot more just net duels in. I mean, I think 
to truly appreciate the TCG over something like Master Duel, you have to have an appreciation, an understanding and appreciation for the process of a duel. Mm-hmm. You have to not just understand everything that goes into a duel, all the phases, all the steps in the phases, how you transition between them, how you and your opponent are supposed to interact. You actually have to enjoy that. Yeah. And I think at some point I used to. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think I'm so focused on just trying to learn how to play newer archetypes and new decks decently that I don't even I don't want to add that to also all the steps that go into having a good paper duel. Yeah, I think like with Master Duel, it is nice to just I have the duel log, I have like life points, and once returns are kept track of, mm-hmm. a lot of the extra tracking is done for me, and I don't have to worry about like calling a judge over you know some controversial ruling discrepancy. Master Duel will figure it out for me, and it will just like run it for me. And I think at the kind of stage I'm at, where like I just I want to play Yu Gi Oh, but I don't like want all of the all it's is there a word for that i don't know it's like maintenance yeah all the maintenance of like kind of just doing a proper duel i know that sounds lazy and that's that's i mean to an extent it is i mean it's kind of lazy that's just my experience with it i know some people really prefer that tcg experience because it's so it's so organic and Mm -hmm. so granular and there's a little bit more ability to like bluff or more ability to kind of the the person who understands the processes of a duel better has an innate advantage in a paper game you can use your knowledge of how a duel is conducted the steps the phases to your advantage while in master duel it's very limited how much more advantage you can get i've also found that uh i'm becoming a bit more of a fan of best of one not like that i think it's like wholly better but actually just because like i don't care like I don't really care to like go all the way to game three. I just want to get a, get in and get out. You just don't want a side. Yeah, not really. <laughs> I don't. I mean, side decking was always something that I didn't. I'd say I hated it when I played like a lot of physical TCG. Mm-hmm. Like it was nice, obviously. Like, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm kind of over it. Like I like the idea of like you have to build your deck almost with a little bit of a side deck in there. Like you got to have hand traps or board breakers or something and how much you're willing to give, how much dedication like in, in deck space you're willing to give to those will determine how successful over many games you probably will be because you're going to lose coin flips. I still think the best of three is probably better for like determining who is like the overall most strategically sound, com- like prepared player mm-hmm. in like this large scale tournaments. I think that that's probably still preferable. But for me, who's just, you know, I'm in my bedroom and I'm just, playing some Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, like, I don't... firing up Master Duel with a brewski in one hand. <laughs> yeah. He's got a dinner plate in the other. I'm, I'm not, like... Because I think, like, best of threes in Master Duel w- would just be such a time commitment it actually might stress me out more. I remember when Master Duel came out and, you know, everyone was jumping in and people were finding out just how long a Yu-Gi-Oh duel can take. Yeah, you hop in. You happen to master duel thinking, "Wow, I'm getting like one game every ten minutes, and like I'm just gonna have a good time. I fly through them, and then you're you're approaching like the thirty minute mark, and you're like, "How is he still playing?" Yeah, I mean, like I think that for a lot of people, they where they are finding out that like Yu Gi Oh just in general can turns can take a long time, and and that, even that applies, automated turns. Yeah, even automated turns like that applies to both. But at least like in master duel, I don't know. I just 
whatever. I'm biased. I like Master Duel a little bit more as a format, but I don't think that like one is inherently better. I think it's just what you're looking for. So. Yeah. Um, I know that's a very diplomatic answer to give, but there's not really any other answer to to give other than you just play what you like. One well, last thing I would huh? like to say too is that like there's really like the whole argument probably is moot because there's a lot of crossover. Like a lot of people just play both. I mean. You can't always be playing a TCG, right? You have mm-hmm. to have people to play with. You have to go to a place. Master Duel is always there, ready to fill in those gaps of time. Yeah, like some people, they literally, like, they play Master Duel at home, and they go to their locals once or twice a week, and then back to Master Duel, you know, so. the uh, But you know who does have an answer? Who's got an answer? Konami has an answer. With their new special TCG product. Oh, they've got an answer, do they? That's right. Okay. Let me open this up. Oh, this is their thing that was on social media this morning, or well, yes, yesterday or morning, yesterday. as of when you guys are probably listening to this. Okay. So, uh, the TCG announced that they are revealing a new product release for the 25th anniversary. We don't know what it is, but at Friday, Friday 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, they will be revealing something for us to buy. Well, I mean, I guess what else would it be, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> um, they never give us anything for free. Yeah, they, they claim that this is going to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Yu-Gi-Oh! card game. So uh, that, that's probably something that's worth mentioning. The 25th anniversary. So I've, re- I've realized how, how it actually works. Oh, okay, good. Because it's December. Yeah. Um, so this product probably won't be releasing <laughs> in December. But the 25th anniversary started in, like, February. So and it runs we'll until next February? next like, February, like I guess the end of next February or okay, something like that. That's weird. So basically, anything that um, any of these like little events, products, things they're doing can like that's why like Amazing Defenders and Photon Hypernova, I think, weren't content weren't considered like part of the 25th anniversary. Like they didn't have the little tag, the, the, thing, the little stamp on them, but. Um, but like things past it did. So. Okay. Anyways, any clue? I have no clue. Like any guesses what this product might be? Well, I know what it won't be. What won't it be? A platinum something. I certainly hope that I don't want like, any more quarter century. I mean, if Konami has learned any lessons in the last year, and there should have been a few, they should have learned that these platinum card things. For a thousand, for a thousand dollars, the platinum. What is that? That's a, that's a that's a collection, isn't it? What is it called? Like the platinum collection, the platinum series. Because I know, I like, know. there's there's blue eyes and dark mission. I hope it's not another one of those. I really so it would be tone deaf for them to release <laughs> really another. Alec, and probably fifteen hundred dollars yeah, this time. Like it would not be a great idea. Get your fifteen hundred dollar red eyes. I mean, maybe a platinum dark mission girl sells. But that would it. be a very risky I think people would not. move to make. Now is not the time, Konami. Please don't. <laughs> and it, so, my guess is it's just another product. Like, just I mean, I don't know what kind of product that would be, but I, I'm guessing it's just another product. But like this, it's seemingly something that uh, the OCG. If it's something the OCG has, then I'm guessing it's some type of sleeves or something, like a new set of sleeves. If it's something the OCG doesn't have, that would be interesting. Yeah, maybe reprints, quarter like century OCG. reprints. OCG. I, I, I think know. it's probably OCG. Related. We got a rarity collection. I don't know what they could be reprinting. Now, well, here's one interesting thing. So they they show this image where it's like a gift box. So that to me implies that maybe it is something that's like Christmas related. Although this seems quite short notice to be. I mean, like it's December fourteenth when you guys are watching this, and they won't be revealing this until the fifteenth. 
So, like, I don't know that there would be enough time for anybody to, like, buy anything for Christmas. But, but it like, might lead into... Because I've had this theory mm-hmm. that Konami has been dropping lots of things to drum up their end-of-year revenue mm-hmm. and trying to take advantage of the holidays. If that is some type of holiday gift-themed product, honestly, the fact that they're dropping at all at all during the holidays, especially if orders go up before Christmas... Then I think that supports my idea that Konami. I don't know why, but they are just really they're milking the end of this uh, this year for every little dime they can get. I still don't know like, what else this year needs though. Like it, it, do, it didn't I, need, I don't think this year needs. We didn't any need more Valiant products. Smashers. Yeah, like I don't know that this year needs any more products, and that like people would really even be willing to buy any new products. Like there's just been enough i think ready collection was great and like we've had a good mainline set that's like happening and even i mean valiant smashers love it or hate it i mean like at least the the centurions have like made a splash competitively they actually did they did and the fire king deck has so it's like technically we've had meaningful products i just don't think we need more like this soon at least well they're not done yeah apparently not I wonder if this might be something kind of like how Premium Bandai works with One Piece and Digimon. What do you mean? Because so for context, guys, uh, in the One Piece and Digimon uh, TCGs, they get exclusive product releases from the Premium Bandai website, where it's usually um, exclusive mats, alternate art promo cards, and they're they're usually expensive. You need to pre-order them months out, but they're actually useful to your game and not a piece of uh, silver painted garbage. I, I meant painted pro- promotional item. Yeah. Well, listen. I I'm I'm pretty sure Konami has learned their lesson with that. I don't think that we'll be seeing another one of those unless they've already like unless it was just planned from the start. There would be like three or Which something. They might have been. Yeah. So, that that would not, not be good. Um. I'm interested in what this is though. I I will be yep. you know I'll be keeping my eyes peeled. Um. Because there really aren't any hints on this. So yeah, there's nothing no that we know. can glean. This is just pure conjecture at this they point. They just say it's a, it celebrates the 25th anniversary. So anybody who's like anything. listening to the, the YouTube premiere of this, like they're live in the chat, let us know what is what are your predictions about what this might be? What would be exciting for you? Will it be like more of a TCG-based thing? Or do you think it will just be kind of more of a Yu-Gi-Oh brand, just general thing? My guess, guess is closer to TCG. Let me just check who did the who who posted this. Yu-Gi-Oh TCG posted it at least on Twitter. Ah, okay. So my understanding is that it's probably it's TCG related. TCG related. That, that makes um, sense. That just makes sense. So what would that be? Don't really know, but uh, it will be something, and we'll know quite soon. Yeah. So uh, I think that's all the Yu-Gi-Oh news. That's all I've got. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. One last quick thing. I saw this on Twitter. This is just sort of hearsay. No, no clue if it's Ooh, true. Paul spreading misinformation. Yeah, me when I spread misinformation on the internet. Um, no, th- yeah. So that's full disclaimer. Who knows if it's true? I saw House of Champs and Jeff Jones on Twitter. They were talking about how, like, apparently Konami has been offering stores deep discount rates on cases of uh, Dune or Duelist Nexus and this year's uh, Dueling Heroes tins. Both of which were products that were very poorly received by people. Yeah. And um, apparently did not sell super well. And so a lot of shops have them, you know, sitting on shelves and were not able to get rid of them. And Konami also did not, I guess, get very many, like, orders of cases for these products. And they have extras and are trying to get rid of them. Mm. Now, again, this is just 
hearsay. So like whether or not it's true, maybe some shop owners can. But I mean, House of Champs did tweet it, and I may just say like. There's not many people as tapped into this game as House of Champs. That's true. He's very uh, into the product side of things. So I would be interested in finding out if that's true. If somebody wants to verify it, I hope that's, you know, wouldn't get you in trouble for saying so. So maybe don't. But either way, I mean, like, I think I'm a Konami employee. I'll provide you with the answers. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't think it even takes very much guesswork to assume that those sets sold pretty badly and Konami probably just wants to get rid of them. And, and they would be willing to get to a shop for less still though i still don't think a I shop mean, should a take shop, it i mean uh, it, it, not those sets like that isn't this not, it's not me saying like you gives awful right now because the last four products have all been like quite good i'd say to some oh, to I, did, I did not like valiant smashes i didn't like it personally but at least one of the decks has done something right true so it's true, like, true it's like meaningful duelist nexus and like the ten of dueling heroes they just I mean, I remember that period of time where, like, Blue's Nexus boxes were 40 bucks on TCG Player. And, like, card tops were having to try to sell that for, like, $75 or something on a shelf, and it just wasn't happening. Hey, hey, Chaos Angel. That was the step before that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. And oh, I mean, yeah. Never mind. I remember now. And, oh, like, God. also the, the Dueling Heroes tin, uh, you know, it was also not. Th- that was actually probably, I would actually say, worse. It might. I wonder if that's our worst ten ever. I'm I trying think to think so. of like a ten I disliked more. I mean, I think the tens have kind of gone downhill since 2019. Like 2019 was was great. Peak, peak, yeah, peak ten. Peak ten. Nibiru, um, Dark, Dark Roar, Dimension Shifter. Love them or hate them, they were good cards. And we got to be the ones that announced the promos. Yeah, and I think like the next year was when we got like Dragoon. That was a big deal. Yeah, huge. But they've just they've stopped. Adding promos to the tins. Mm-hmm. This year they gave promos back, but they were like those really yucky. I think I have one over here. Just these like quarter century, uh, these quarter century. Very uh, random quarter centuries at that. Monsters that no one actually really wants. And the reprints were atrocious this time. It was there were no staple reprints. Nope. No Curry Kara, no Ultimate Slayer, no and you know. And it's and it's strange because Konami's usually better about divvying up their reprints where they have at least something for every product. They they kind of backloaded a lot of it into um <clears throat> into rarity collection. Mm-hmm. But I think that the tens just may as well have almost not existed this year. They were that <laughs> they reprinted archetypes that no one wanted. Yeah, or that were about to get hit, like Kashira. Yeah. Like it's just very I think that's actually all the Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh I I got a magic story. Do you? Yeah. Is it the one I, I think it is, because there's a pretty big one I've heard. Uh do you already do you have it too? Probably. What do you got? So Hasbro lays off eleven hundred D and D and Magic the Gathering employees. Yeah, two weeks before Christmas, quote to keep Hasbro healthy is the quote that my article has. At least this is from DiceBreaker.com. So corporate. That's a that's some corporate. Mm. Yeah, it's rough. So uh, go ahead. Let, okay. So earlier this week, Hasbro announced that it will be laying off approximately 1,100 employees two weeks before Christmas as per an internal memo. These internal memos never stay internal, do they? They don't. At the time, I pointed out that the memo announced the majority of the notifications will happen over the next six weeks, with the balance occurring over the next year. So they're not all dropping at the same time. Mm -hmm. While it doesn't directly contradict this statement, many layoffs are happening right now. 
A list of layoffs at Wizards of the Coast continues to grow. Some have been substantiated via announcements on social media, while others are still being verified. Mike Murrows, a co-designer of D&D 5th Edition, is potentially among their number, as per a Blue Sky and Screenshot shared on Twitter. Murrows had left Wizards of the Coast RPG design team and had been working on the design team for Magic the Gathering. This has been further substantiated by a growing list at EN World, as well as one being assemb- assembled by tabletop journalist Christian Coffer on Twitter. While the scope of the layoffs is still being verified, I've collected what statements I can from the impacted employees. Among this list of confirmed layoffs is art director Brianna Heiss, or Heiss, a senior developmental editor, eight. Aitan Bernstein, producer and host Amy Dallin, game designer Dan Dillon, product manager Natalie Egan, senior communications manager Larry Frum, and Magic the Gathering community manager Jesse Hill. Okay. So, while so those these people are all so confirmed to be getting the X. That sucks. So, the names don't mean too much because I'm still a very fledgling uh, member of the Magic the Gathering community. I mean, they mean a lot in the sense that those are. Real people yeah, and real jobs. They don't mean they don't, to, they, yeah, to, personally. To, yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean much, but the, these are still um, these are huge layoffs for a game that has been on the upward track. I would say. I mean, I don't know about Dungeons and Dragons since I don't really play <laughs> that, but I know that Magic has been getting quite good sales. I've like read in the yeah, they keep releasing the products. They don't stop. So they announced a decision citing uh, continued headwinds. <laughs> in the toys and games market cut into even their more conservative earnings estimates. So yeah, it sounds like I guess the toys and games market in general is not doing super well. I can't speak much to that because I don't follow it. Now we could closely. do an industry report. Yeah. Uh, um I I mean I think it's a it's that whole like doing it two weeks before Christmas thing that especially rubs people the wrong way. Because I think just generally in like retail and everything, it, it's seen as in quite bad tastes. Like, it's not a good look to, you know, lay people off really any time, but especially before, like, the holidays. But also, I find the Magic community has a very unique relationship with their game developers and the people who are in their community. Mm-hmm. It, it, they, they seem more communal. Um, if you work for Magic and you make things for Magic, the players, they say they know they know your name. They, uh, they appreciate the work that you put in. And so, for Magic players, these aren't just names. These are the people that have created their hobby, and they continue to make it better. Yeah. And a little bit worse at the same time. But um, mm. what, I, what I don't like about all this is, I, I don't like, I can, I can put the sentimental stuff aside. I don't like that a corporation is seeing, um, they're, they're, they're seeing some bad like signs, they're, they're losing some money. And instead of lightening the load on the segments that are actually losing money, they just went ahead and cut people from just across the entire corporation. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's pretty rough because it's like, okay, we weren't seeing the profits we were supposed to. So we will, you know, make these cuts so that profits don't look as bad. Maybe this next year or something. But it's, still, it's really rough. They, apparently, that's one-fifth of its roughly 6,400 employees. So that's a huge chunk. Um, CEO Chris Cox disclosed their plans to act one-fifth of their employees. And um, they also say that, or this is what Cox says, there's going to be a focus on fewer, larger brands, digital development, 
and investing hard on direct-to-consumer and licensed deals. So um, that's it's just it can be it's just insane to me if you're if you're an employee of Wizards of the Coast subsidiary of Hasbro, you can be doing great work. Or at least good work. Your company can be on the upward track. And then corporate says, yeah, your job is gone. Yeah, I know this news is especially difficult during the holiday season, uh, he continued. There's no sugarcoating how hard this is, particularly for the employees directly affected. Um, The rest of the memo characterized the massive number of layoffs as a, quote, last resort and a lever that we must (coughs) pull to keep Hasbro healthy. Cox first stepped into the role of Hasbro CEO in February 2022 and now earns an annual salary of $1.5 million. He received $9.4 million in total compensation last year. So, so it's, he's a very he's a very new CEO for Hasbro. Yeah, he's fairly new, and he's uh, raking in the dough. It sounds like he's, this is the type of CEO that tries to um, stabilize... They try, they're trying to, he, it sounds like he tries to stabilize the business. And since he's doing this in only a year in, all, in his position, I mean, they can expect probably more cost-cutting measures down the road. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big question for us, though, really, is how does this affect, like, Dungeons & Dragons and, like, Magic the Gathering? Uh, apparently, people have reached out for comment, did not get any Um I hope that, I mean, like, magic and stuff is okay. I, I don't think that they will, you know, any of them are going to end. But hopefully this doesn't, like, drastically affect the quality of the product or, like, the consumer experience. Like, I know losing a community manager, for instance, that kind of is, there's a player experience element mm-hmm. there that would maybe be lost or hampered. So that kind of I mean, sucks. Hasbro knows to not, you know, they're not going to end these money-making properties but they might be throwing a bit of a wrench in how it works by removing so many people. I know there's a kind of thing in uh, corporate culture, like co- corporate cost-cutting culture, that is uh, that, you know, your job doesn't seem, we can't see the immediate value in your job, so therefore it's not, like, useful, right? That like, we're going to cut this community manager because, well, the community manager, by our estimation, is not bringing in money. When in reality, that community manager who's like, you know, running these social media pages and keeping players in the know and mm-hmm. is, a, as you mentioned before, a face that a lot of players like recognize and view typically fondly. Although I guess community managers kind of get it. They can get some uh, issues. But, but like, you know, losing that means that you kind of become probably closer to what like Yu Gi Oh is like, where there isn't a community manager in Yu Gi Oh, and we see how that goes. Like you just feel like you can't—they don't hear you at all. Yeah, you know, wall of silence. People, it, it breeds more resentment for the mm. company. I'm sure Konami can tell us a thing or two about that. Um, so, I don't know. For those of you guys who are invested into Magic the Gathering or Dungeons and Dragons, actually, uh, let let us know. I mean, I'd like to hear more about. Are players concerned about this? As for the names of the people who are being laid off, um, obviously you're all very important. But are, are there any like you know big names that were for you, if you're listening and you play Magic, that were just I guess in any way impacted you? It's like I'd like to hear those stories, especially for us as Yu-Gi-Oh players. Um, that it's so different mm-hmm. because Konami actually has a very high turnover. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Yu-Gi-Oh players know the names of any, like anybody involved. Anybody. Yeah, I, I know with Konami, um, you know, without maybe going into too much detail, like the times that I've been able to work with them has been like, sometimes, I mean, like they're just like, people come and go. And, and I think like a lot of companies are like that, right? Like it doesn't sound like, you know, they're axing loads of people, but there's definitely a revolving door, so to speak. And so... But, like, the players facing side of it would never know, really. Yeah. I so. mean, players experience with Konami are kind of Konami-adjacent due to judges. Yeah, you'll, you'll either interact with judges or, like, you'll inter- you'll just see Konami's vague social media posts that just aren't attributed to any person. It's the, just kind of a The press thing. release that they're just cold and unfeeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I mean, that's, it's true. Uh, Konami's, they're good at that. Well, anyway, uh, I've got a story. What you got? So, we've got a, a, a handful of gaming stories, actually. I, I, I have some as well. Yeah. So, I guess we'll kick this one off with the Epic Games trial. I don't oh, know yeah. if you've been following this. As a Fortnite player, I have to. Epic win. Hey, Jury decides Google has illegal monopoly in App Store fight. So I don't know how much you've been following the sort of Epic versus Apple and Google. Not lawsuits. deeply, but tell it to them. They need to hear it more than me. All right. Well, it's great because the article does a pretty good job of summarizing it. Three years after Fortnite maker Epic Games sued Apple and Google for allegedly running illegal app store monopolies, Epic has a win. The jury in Epic v. Google has just delivered its verdict. And it found that Google turned its Google Play app store and Google Play billing service into an illegal monopoly. So, um, the idea, basically, was that um, Apple and Google have App Store monopolies because they kicked Fortnite off the App Stores. Yeah. The reason they kicked Fortnite off the App Stores a few years back was because... Um, they were giving players a way to buy premium currency mm-hmm. by going around their markets. Yeah. So, normally, like in Fortnite, you can buy V-Bucks. You probably know more about this than me. Leave me alone. But, um, I saw that look. You, Yeah, I mean, you can buy like V-Bucks. But when you make any purchase in the App Store, um, Google or Apple's App Stores, they do take a cut of like what you pay. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, buy an app for $5, Apple and Google take 30% of that. And also, if you purchase, say, like a premium currency in your mobile game and like you pay for it through like, you know, Google Play billing... Google also takes 30% of it, or <coughs> Apple, same thing, right? So when you buy your V-Bucks, what would have been $10 worth of V-Bucks, you'll be charged, like, you know, $13, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um, they have to do that in order to, you know, circumvent the cost that they're going to have to, like, pay to Apple or Google for that transaction happening through their apps. The thing is, though, what uh, Fortnite did was they actually told players in-game, hey, you can get these V-Bucks for less if you just download the game like on your PC and buy your V-Bucks there so that we don't have to, you know, do it in our native app so that we don't have to pay this extra bit and you get to save some money. Apple and Google didn't like that. I even think that you could actually hit a link in-game that took you to an external browser. Yeah, I think that's what they were doing. And Apple and Google did not care for this. Not one bit. So um, they were like, we want our chunk. So uh, they took Fortnite actually off those app stores, which is a huge move because, I mean, Fortnite's like a huge game. And um, the only real way to download it would either be through, like, an APK file on an Android phone. Many or people have done that. Apparently the uh, Samsung app store actually has uh, Fortnite That's a still. W for Samsung. So W for Samsung. But, yeah, so they took it to court, and it's been kind of just festering in court for the last two, three years. 
But uh, yeah, after just a few hours of deliberation, the jury unanimously answered yes to every question put before them. That Google has monopoly power in the Android app distribution markets and in-app <coughs> billing services markets. That Google did anti-competitive things in those markets. And that Epic was injured by that behavior. They decided Google has an illegal tie between its Google Play App Store and its Google Play billing payment services too. And that its distribution agreement uh, deals with game developers and OEMs were all anti-competitive. You know what that means? They're gonna break it up. Google's gonna just have. They're gonna have to just re. You have to restructure those agreements, and they won't be able to connect their billing and um, Google Play stores. Yeah, I mean, well, it's what's likely gonna have to happen is one of two things: either a, they're going to, because I think Fortnite's pushing for them to reduce the thirty percent chunk, so maybe that gets reduced to twenty five percent or twenty percent, something that I guess feels. Fair. I don't. I'm not an expert in these things. Mm-hmm. I know that 30% sounds, at least to the layman like me, like a lot of money, right? right. Like you know, if I just told you, okay, I'm just, I just want 30% of everything you make. Simple, just 30% because I want it. Now, um, the argument on the side of Google or Apple, though, is that well, um, by utilizing our Play Store or the you know, the App Store, you are getting access to our sort of users. And there's a cost to that. That's, I think, what Apple or Google would argue. And I think that they have sort of a point, I suppose. Like, if you think about it, you know, being on the App Store is a big deal. It like is. Being on Apple's App Store means that you suddenly have a lot of eyes. And But they you know, also all put that. all kind of garbage on there, too. Yeah, I mean, so, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. Um, in a post on its company blog, Epic Games said today's verdict is a win for all app developers and consumers around the world. Um, proves that Google's app store practices are illegal and they abuse their monopoly to extract exorbitant fees, stifle competition, and reduce innovation. Now, this is a historic victory because Epic actually mostly lost its fight against Apple two years ago um, when Judge uh, Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers decided that fight had nothing to do with apps. That was the, you know, taking Fortnite off the app store thing. Right. So, um, but Epic re-Google turned out to be a bit of a different case. Uh, it hinged on secret revenue sharing deals between Google smartphone makers and big game developers, which um, Google execs internally believed were designed to keep rival app stores down. But I do think um, this actually is a it's a win against Google, but I think it's also a win against Apple. The uh, Google and Apple have been watching each other's uh, lawsuits, and I think now that Google has been the Google Play Store has been ruled a monopoly. I think Apple, that's actually going to force Apple to make some changes too, just so that you can't take that same argument to them. Yeah, so we don't know exactly what Epic has won quite yet. That's up to Judge James Donato, who will decide what the appropriate remedies might be. Epic never sued for monetary damages. It wants the court to tell Google that every app developer has total freedom to introduce its own app stores and its own billing systems on Android. And we don't know yet or even whether the judge might grant those wishes. So they'll be meeting with the judge in the second week of January to discuss potential remedies. That'll be huge. That'll um It's it's interesting. The judge has this open ended, this blank check to punish Google and rewrite the rules of how this is supposed to go. So I kinda of mind your opinion too, just being that you uh purchase uh like you play a lot of mobile games. Have what you, what found are you trying that to say? Well, you do, <laughs> right? I do. I do play a lot. Uh, do you have, like, a, a personal stake in this? Like, would you, if your mobile game said, okay, you can buy your premium currency 
separate from the Google Play Store and pay a little less, would you do that, or do you think it's like not worth the hassle? So there is there's extra hassle involved if um apps if games had their own billing. I think it's fine if games had their own billing in addition to using Google's billing. Mm-hmm. So like people Google can like Play choose stuff. Because but you know I play so many games I use the Google Play Rewards system, mm-hmm. and so pres- presumably I would just keep using it. I like being able to get something back for uh, my investment. We'll call it. And um, what do you get back? What is that? You can get Google Play credit, discounts, that sort All of thing. Things. The uh, but if everyone starts moving towards their own billing and away from that one centralized place, mm-hmm. it might be a bit of a pain to actually rack up my Google Rewards. And I mean, that's that's a, that's a personal thing. That's a, that's how it affects me specifically. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, but. If every app had their own billing, that means they could have different ways, different payment methods you might not have access to if you're billing through Google Play. I don't know what those would be, but that might be more flexible for other people. That might be a benefit. Yeah, you know, I find my... So I don't really play a lot of mobile games, so like my opinion's kind of crap here. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is a like sector of people who actually just don't give any shits. Mm-hmm. And by that, I, I mean like that... Um, even if there are alternative ways to pay, they might even save them money. They won't use them because it's just more convenient to buy your currency in just, you know. It is, like it is convenient. Google right. Play. So, uh, but I would certainly like to get to reap those discounts. Like, I think I would buy my V-Bucks at whatever place gets them the cheapest. I mean, you know, I play uh, the game Honkai Star Rail. And, you know, the, uh, those MiHoYo-verse games, you know, they're on PC and whatnot, so... I mostly played them on PC, but if I buy premium currency, I actually prefer just do it through Google Play. I'll d- download it on my phone, update the game and everything, just so that I can buy my currency on Google Play and get rewards. I will say um, one thing, too, that maybe is more relevant to some listeners like on YouTube is like if you donate uh, YouTube Super Chats, for instance, or mm-hmm. Super Thanks, like you can do in this premiere if you're watching it on YouTube. Oh. Um, you know, YouTube, like... If you do it on, uh, on an Apple device, it takes like more money because like of the of the App Store cut. Right. So that's like an example of this in action. So if you wanted to like you know super chat like ten bucks, well like either I'll get Watch less out, of Apple. it or like you might cost have a you monopoly, more, something like that. So yeah, just something worth keeping in mind. Um, it's an interesting story. I thought it might be worth raising, but um, there are other gaming stories. Yeah, like this uh, this gaming story. E three is dead. Yeah. I heard this one. And I'd keep reading, except I just got bombarded with those, like, please buy a subscription to our page now, and I can't get it off my screen. Well, fortunately for you, I've got a story from Polygon that just is covering that. Dope. All um, right. Yeah, E3 is 100% dead. So, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, better known as E3, is canceled indefinitely. After more than two decades of E3, each one bigger than the last, the mm-hmm. time has come to say goodbye, says event organizer. Um, for the Entertainment Software Association. That's what they wrote on um, on their website. Thanks for the memories, GGWP. Good game, well played. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, uh, what do you just I say? think that's what that means. Anyways, um, once the, industry, the gaming industry's biggest event of the year, E3's decline began when the Sony Interactive Entertainment skipped out on the event in 2019 for the first time in E3's decades-long history. 
That was the last E3 before COVID-19 quarantine measures pushed events online, and developers realized they didn't need the hype of E3 to create their own E3-like experiences. E3 hosted an all-virtual event in 2021 before it was entirely canceled in 2022. In March 2023, new organizer Reed Pop announced it was canceled once again, and people began to wonder if it would ever return. Now it's confirmed that it won't. Uh, the quote, we know the in- entire industry, players and creators alike, have a lot of passion for E3. We share that passion, uh, they said in an interview. We know it's difficult to say goodbye to such a beloved event, but it's the right thing to do given the new opportunities our industry has to reach fans and partners. Um, so one other thing that's probably worth mentioning here too, uh, developers and publishers have more direct access to players, something that was exciting for the industry. Companies like Nintendo, Sony, Ubisoft, and others have embraced the showcase format to highlight games from internal and external partners. So that's where you think of, you know, the state of play or the Microsoft game showcase or Nintendo directs. Um, and then also, you know, E3 has largely been replaced too by Jeff Keighley's industry events like the summer games fest and the game awards, which we'll be talking about shortly. But yeah, so with E3, uh, thoughts. Rest in peace. I mean, I've only ever been to one, and it was the last in-person E3. 2019. But, uh... Yeah. Konami oh, yeah. invited us to that. That was fun. Yeah. I, I, I did enjoy Legacy E3. The Duelist. I, I enjoyed E3, and uh, it's a shame that uh, I'll never get to do it again. Were you an E3 kid? What's that mean? By E3 kid, I guess it's my own little personal term for, like, when I was a kid, E3 was everything. Like, just not going to it, but just the, the coverage of it was such a hype kind of thing in the gaming industry. Like, cause uh, each I company, never knew. I would just, I would just hear about things afterwards. Yeah, like, <laughs> I would like watch it, like watch all the live coverage. This is back when I was much more of a gamer than I am now. But like, I'd watch all the coverage, um, the different press conferences. There's a lot of excitement around, like you know, would Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo like win E3? Who had the best press conference? Ubisoft had a conference. EA had a conference. Um, Activision like had a conference, and it was just there was such a. If you were kind of into the console wars, Sony versus Microsoft versus Nintendo, like who's going to win? Who's going to announce the thing? I just will the next console be announced? Trailers. Yeah, you know what trailers will be best? And then there's like all there's like oh all they do at E three now is show trailers. Where's the gameplay? Like all these things, all this coverage, all these interviews. It was a very hype time to be a gamer, and it was like in the summer, so like school was out, and there was just so much to. Just to care about, I don't know, mm-hmm. with E3. Um, nowadays, they're right. Like, basically, it's a lot more individual kind of just events. The company started pulling out, like, Sony and all them because they realized, well, a Nintendo Direct or a State of Play gets more of our core fan base there watching, and it's a lot cheaper to do. And you're not competing with other companies in that same, like, slot. Day, yeah. I mean, that, and, like, it, it does cost a lot of money to, like, probably do E3. You have to, those huge installations, yeah. the stage. Um, another thing, too, is that it would sometimes rush developers to, like, have a, you know, playable version of their game to show at E3 or, like, a, a demo when they weren't necessarily ready. So, like, if I'm developing this game and I'm not going to really have a playable version ready until, like... Leave Square alone. Well, I mean, this is every company, right? Like, and I'm not going to have a playable version until, like, September. You know. Who's showing the, the developmental build, you know? Yeah, so that that was obviously, like, a big thing. It's so, going to make it into the game? Who knows? 
I'll be sad to see it go. I mean, I'm, I'm never really like to cheer on like you know the death of Ding something. Dong, the witch is dead. It's yeah, I know some people hated E3. Of course, like some people probably. How could you hate it? I I don't think. It, hmm. This gets a bit meta. I I don't think that it's that they actually hated it. I think it's kind of that internet thing where we we believe we're supposed to hate it. Oh. Like it it's like, not we as in me. Like I, I don't just like E3. I think it was great, but um. You know, people just, they, they get into their bag where it's just like, E3 sucks now and it's dying and it's dead. Like, good. Bang, You bang. know, haha, like, you fell off. Like, where people kind of cheer on the demise of mm. a thing just because it it got too corporate or it got too this or they weren't even good games anyway or just whatever reasons. So, yeah, sometimes people get pretty, on. Uh, yeah. They, they, they kind of will cheer on the demise of these things, but I don't think that's a very good thing to do. Speaking of people cheering on, uh, well, games, both demise and rise, the Game Awards happened, didn't they? It did. The Game Awards were last week. Um, it's one of the events that many people feel kind of has replaced E3 since it's got a lot of you know game announcements. and. Um, I heard that stuff. it might have been more game announcement than awards show. Yeah, that's what... Um, that's what they say. So, I do not follow the Game Awards. I don't, you know, I don't play enough games, I think, for the awards to mean very much. Hey, Mass Duel could have won ongoing game. That would have been fun if it did, It actually. was not nominated. Yeah, it wasn't. Mm-mm. Cyberpunk won, right? It won for some reason. An award that I think is a little shoehorned. Because, like, look, I love Cyberpunk. I love the DLC. I think they did a great job saving the game. But... Calling it an ongoing game felt like you took the definition and just really stretched it. Yeah. I, I think that their goal was just to find some way to acknowledge Cyberpunk because its launch was so awful, but it's made a, a nice kind of return in it through its DLC. Mm-hmm. But it's also too late to be nominated for anything, so they were like, oh, we'll just kind of squeak it in here. Baldur's Gate 3, I heard one game of the year. Congratulations, never played it. I heard that. You can have strange sex in that game, so I'm not surprised. That probably yeah, that probably helped a lot of people like it more. Um, I there was that, something about a bear. I, yeah, I think I think there was a bear. I know that many people had the um, animal, not the type of person. Moving on from this, <laughs> I want to talk, talk about having sex with the bear. No, but I know that there were like debates about you know like what game should have won game of the year, did it and deserve it. I don't care about any of those things. What I do care about though is uh, the fact that people were not happy you know why they weren't happy outside of the fact that their favorite game didn't win something was actually because the show was more announcements than actual awards like you said um there was a picture that went pretty viral uh that was like basically the tell the giant teleprompter Mm -hmm. that people who are accepting awards on stage saw and they only got 30 seconds for their acceptance speech and after 30 seconds passed um a prompt would show up that said please wrap it up like Wrap it. You know, like up. hurry up, or you know, they didn't get out the giant cane to like yank them off the stage. Well, like they used music character. instead because after a few oh, seconds of off. that, then yeah, some music starts playing to let you know that we're moving on to the next thing. <laughs> the Game Awards were last night. That's what this article says. Obviously, they weren't last night. And while the ceremony is meant to celebrate the best games of the year, it's getting a lot of backlash for a perceived lack of respect for the developers that actually make said. Games. One of the major points of criticism is the short amount of time winning devs were given in their speeches being told to, quote, wrap it up via the teleprompter after 
about one minute or in some cases 30 seconds 30 seconds with like, music being played shortly if after. i win an award just me like shouting out people's gonna take 30 seconds as note, as many noted, this stood in especially stark contrast to the time that was devoted to the celebrities and special guests. Oh, did they? Who who was there? I didn't actually see the game. A lot of celebrities. Um, by IGN's estimations, the time spent on the awards and speeches was only about thirty minutes and forty-two seconds out of the total two-hour and fifty-two-minute runtime of the show. Woo! This year's game. Oh, this is someone from Twitter. This year's game awards is an embarrassing indictment of a segment of the industry's desperation for validation <clears throat> via star power. With little respect for the devs, it's supposed to be honoring. Who are these stars? Um, I know they had a bunch of celebrities. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, gonna Google it real quick. Yeah, look, look up like who the celebrities were. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, they. I know that like they were showcase. They were like movie actors, I believe. And um, okay, it seems that they had. Oh wow, Matthew okay. McConaughey. Anthony Mackie, C. Mooley, Timothy Chalamet, and the Muppet Gonzo. Yeah. One moment that's been called out as particularly unfortunate is from a speech at the end of the evening where Baldur, when Baldur's Gate 3 won Game of the Year. In a video, um, they, they show like the please wrap it up thing as it flashed in the teleprompter right as director Sven Vink was paying tribute to late Baldur's Gate 3 lead cinematic artist Jim Southworth. So this is an artist who passed away during development, mm. and he was honoring him in his speech. And then they said, "Yeah, please wrap it up." Yeah. That's all well and, and the nice, but uh, him, the music cut him off. Yeah, get out. We got we got we got more to Matthew do McConaughey is coming. We've got on. more trailers. Like <laughs> we've got more trailers to show. So I was okay. I was fine with uh, the Game Awards. The idea of the Game Awards having a lot of trailers, and so they kind of cut down on. The awards part for the trailers, I mean, that still that lines up. I don't understand. Like, I, I would hope that they didn't cut down on the awards re- recipient speeches to make room for moments with these celebrities who are tangential to gaming at best. Yes, yeah, I mean, that that's what a lot of people didn't like. There were also, there was um, some, uh, like, Japanese developers who would give speeches and, like, they had translators mm. So oh, obviously, so within 30 seconds, that's just not going to work. They have half that amount of time, essentially. And what makes the criticism all the more intense is the incredible rough year the games industry has had, with numerous major layoffs, reports of poor working environments, and much more. Many were hoping that the awards might acknowledge these layoffs, but there wasn't one mention of them, either in Keeley's opening remarks or throughout the weekend. So, um... I will say it doesn't necessarily feel like a celebration in the game industry, if you yeah. uh, if you're kind of ignoring a part of it or a lot of it, yeah, I think that it's kind of one of these things where the game awards are. <sighs> hmm. So I didn't watch that much of the game awards this year. I watched a fair bit of it last year because like they were giving away the Steam Deck, and I was like, oh, it'd be cool. Maybe I can like win one. You had to like you know be watching and be in I chat. Had, I had the stream open and I just left it alone. But um, I think with like these game awards, they, it does feel like there's they're kind of more concerned with like the star power thing. Like we got celebrities mm-hmm. here, we got important people, trailers, you know, as okay. opposed to celebrating the games. Is that their way of emulating the Academy Awards? Because I, I know think so. during like the Oscars and stuff, you know, they'll take out time to talk to the celebrities in attendance. But that's also because the celebrities in attendance are actors and very relevant. To what's being celebrated? Yeah. So, you know, I 
Funny story. I've actually been following Jeff Keeley. Like he's the other guy who kind of hosts this thing and puts mm-hmm. it all together. I've been following him for many, 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 many years. Like I used to watch. Oh, you're a Keeley stan. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of his, but I've seen, I've been watching games content that he was a part of since like or at least for the last like 15 years. I know he's been in the industry for much longer than even that. Mm. But like I used to watch like game trailers was this website that used to exist, and he like had some shows and stuff on that. So you know I'm happy for him to be able to make this. Uh, Something's as big as the Game Awards, but it does feel like it's trying to be like the Academy Awards or something that's very mainstream and it looks for its validation in having mainstream celebs rather than just being like a game show. And I'm not going to lie, I think for the vast majority of people watching this, that stuff just comes across as cringe and like out of touch. It, just, it feels shoehorned in. I mean, maybe if if a celebrity did mocap or did voice work for, for a prominent show. game, I would say sure. Give yeah, them like a Cyberpunk moment. had like a lot of those. Yeah, Cyberpunk had uh up. Oh, I forgot his name. There's a few. John Wick. Yeah, uh, yeah Keanu losses. Reeves. Keanu Reeves. If they want to take out time to interview Keanu Reeves, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, I think that just having kind of generic celebrities there. Um, now, all right, you're not gonna call Timothy Chalamet generic. No, he's not, not to my face. But like, just <laughs> I don't the, even care you know. about. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan. Like, I'm a fan of like the the people. Like, I don't have anything against them. I just don't think that this is like the place. It's the Game Awards. Most people don't care about, like, celebrities at the Game Awards. That's so. true. Like, m- but maybe they, they those two things aren't related, you know? Maybe they cut down on times may- for, for the trailers, you know? I mean, I think, yeah, that was another thing. Some people were kind of excited with some of the trailers. Others were maybe not as much so. so. But, I mean, with E3 uh, shutting down and us democratizing kind of how these games get spotlighted and shown... The trailers have to go somewhere. Yeah, so cool. Um, let us know what you guys thought of the Game Awards. Again, I don't have like any opinions really on like the games that did it and win, since that's not really the basis of the story here. But uh, Spider Man Two didn't get Game of the Year. Okay, that's last. All I'm gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> congrats to the games that won. Uh, yeah, congrats I, to the games that didn't. I play Final Fantasy fourteen. That was at least nominated for best ongoing game. So that's cool. I've been playing. Sonic. It got snubbed just like Spider Man did. I've been playing Sonic Superstars, but that did not win uh, Family Game of the Year. So, yeah. But um, uh, my next story is tangentially related to the Game Awards. All right, let's hear it. Because uh, this comes from a trailer that was supposed to debut at the Game Awards, but it didn't because it leaked. Oh, okay. So, of course, I'm talking about GTA 6. Okay. So, in the GTA 6 trailer, there's a moment where you can see this guy. Um, he's tattooed and painted up as it, like the Joker ripoff, essentially. He's got lots of tattoos. People call him the Joker. Well, you know how those... Uh, Implied TikToks in game or recreations of real events. Mm-hmm. So was that Joker in game. <clears throat> so Florida Joker demands two million dollars from Rockstar Games for using his likeness in GTA Six. Oh wow, interesting. Okay. Lawrence Sullivan, also known as the Florida Joker, has demanded up to two million from Rockstar Games for using his likeness. The Florida Joker took the social media took to the social media platform TikTok to call out Rockstar. He also called out those who had told him he's hallucinating regarding the Joker character in GTA 6 being based on him calling them wrong. He showed a side-by-side visual comparison between the character and himself and said with certainty that the former is based on him. Okay. And, uh, see, I saw a picture. I don't know if it's actually um, attached to this um, article. 
But I did. I saw a picture when this uh, story came out. And that was actually like sometime this weekend. Here we go. I'm gonna show it to you, Paul. Cool. I'll try to put it in. And there, there might be something here. Yeah, there's definitely a resemblance for sure. It's I not mean, a one to one. It's not, but the inspiration's there. I mean, I think like I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I I'm not gonna say, like I I can't. I don't know his history. I don't know like what Rockstar's intentions and stuff were. But I do think it would be kind of humorous, maybe a little amusing, if <clears throat> Rockstar, like, I, I think a lot of the people who were, like, featured in that trailer could probably claim something. But like, I also think... maybe. But I do think Rockstar knew what they were doing, and I think they made it. They made a choice to make sure to these characters are different from the real yeah, people. different enough that it's not, like, using their likeness. But it might be up to a court to decide. Yeah, it might come down to a court's decision. Because, I mean, even, like, the girl twerking on the car or whatever, or, like, the guy with the alligator or something. That was yeah. Funny. yeah. Like, I mean, they might be able to get a penny out of Rockstar if they wanted to claim that um, sort of only thing. Only if a, a jury and a judge agrees. And I think Rockstar, you know, they did this, they knew the legal implications, and they were pretty careful about it. They mm -hmm. probably... I think the Joker and others don't really have a case, but they, they might. But, they might. But like, who knows? Might, right? maybe, yeah, and I feel like if you don't have a million dollars, this might be a, your closest chance to get some. You know? Yeah, might as well try. Hey, cool. But I wish the Joker and Rockstar luck in their endeavors. I hope they reach a, a settlement. I, I, I like to see a man get paid, but I also don't want to see Rockstar have to like pay a lot of money. So let's meet in the middle here, all right? Yeah. And we'll be making a lot of money when the game comes out. That's true. They'll make so, way more than that. Fine. Cool. Uh, that's all the stories I've got. And I'm wrapped up, too. Awesome. So I think that's a good time, then, for us... To dig in the pot. A couple of cards from the pot of greed. Here, I'll go to shake this time. All right. What kind of shake is that? You gotta like, you gotta like, come on, you gotta tilt it upside down. Uh, just, just destroy. The All pot. you did was move the cards around. Like you didn't even like. I mean, what else are you shuffle. supposed to do? Move them around. Like they just like shifted left and right. You didn't actually. Okay. Well, I've got my card. Okay. Fine. I'm gonna go ahead and just give it the real work. I've drawn. All right, I got. Oh, that's a blank card. Whoa, someone wasn't right. Oh, that's their a blank card. Questions on the cards. Wait, 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 wait. Aha, got one, got one. I got one this time. Okay. What you got, Paul? Okay, so um, my question asks: Other card games on the main channel? Question mark. I guess this person's asking, will we ever do it, or why don't we do it, or something we like that. We can answer all those things, really. Uh, so, we, it's not that we, we're just, like, steadfast. We'll never upload a video about another card game on the main channel. It's just right, we haven't found a video that we want to make with another card game on the main channel. Yeah, I mean, that might also be the nicer way of putting it. I think the more harsh reality of it is that, YouTube's pretty rough. Um, like, if you upload videos that people don't watch it, and they tank, it can really hurt your channel. And unfortunately, a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! players don't watch non-Yu-Gi-Oh! videos. I think that applies to almost any niche, really. But, you know, it's tough getting Yu-Gi-Oh! players to watch a video about even Pokemon or, like, Magic or, you know, let alone smaller or more niche card games like, you know, Digimon or Lorcana or something or Vanguard. And I know there are people who do want to see that, but uh, a, a thing you learn pretty quickly as a YouTuber 
is people will say they want to see a lot of things. But that's a vocal minority. It's oftentimes a vocal minority. And the moment that you upload it and it gets, you know, very poor, poor, poor views, no one's going to really run to your aid. Like, you know, the people who want to see it, sure, maybe they'll watch it. But, you know, it's just it's difficult to justify doing that uh, when so much is oftentimes at stake in terms of like YouTube's algorithm and stuff. You can't upload too many kind of like bombing videos in a row or else it'll just hurt your whole channel and all that. So it's a very difficult thing to do. We'll say Yeah. That. It's tough. I it does remind me though about like uh I, I saw like of some VTubers on Twitter who were discussing a kind of similar topic. Who so, you follow? Um well I don't actually follow too many VTubers. I follow like Nova or Very and a few others. I follow like Rosemary Lovelock, you know, because we collab with them. Um but these were just some other VTubers who do, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! There are a lot of VTubers who play Master Duel. Right. And, you know, since it's come out. And a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! players, like, kind of just your regular core, kind of just online Yu-Gi-Oh! players, don't actually know about, like, VTubers who play Master Duel. For most VTubers, it's just their own innate audiences that watch them play Master Duel. But a lot of VTubers, or some of them were saying, and others were agreeing, that it's kind of difficult to justify playing Master Duel as a VTuber um, and, like, super-duper doubling down on that audience because they do not watch anything else. Yeah. And so that's why uh, they kind of found it hard to want to only play Master Duel. Because Yu-Gi-Oh! players have a thing. And um, and be honest with yourself if you're listening and you're, like, a Yu-Gi-Oh! player. Where, you know, the moment that another game, whether that's card game or just other game, kind of enters the picture, if you're not interested in it, you just don't watch it. I'm not saying that's unreasonable, right? That I won't. I don't watch things that I, I mean, don't. I think it's play just, or uh, like. This is how it is. But for a lot of VTubers, they play. They're variety yeah, gamers. They be variety almost all the time. Streamers. Like you know, they play some Master Duel one day of the week, one or two days of the week. But they also play completely different game. I'm playing Super Mario Wonder today. I'm playing Spider Man the next day. Like they'll play, you know, some visual novel. Another I get day. you named games that didn't win awards, the game awards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so you know, there's. A it's it's tricky and like Yu-Gi-Oh players, I, I maybe I'm just we have the most experience with that, so we can talk yeah. about it the most. They don't I mean they they don't watch non Yu-Gi-Oh. They they it's very tend to be very, very difficult to get Yu-Gi-Oh players to watch something that's not so we have to be very careful to experiment with other card games. Mm-hmm. Um I would say also, just to, to finish that one off, uh if you play Yu-Gi-Oh but would like to see other card game videos what how exactly what do you think is the best method of doing that because there's certainly a, there's a fine balance that has to be met with like making it interesting to a Yu-Gi-Oh player or trying to kind of get them to try out that video so mm-hmm. that it you know can kind of get surfaced more on YouTube what would be the best way to do that if anybody is aware I'm open ears and open hearts open hearts time for my question so, if you could design the next Yu-Gi-Oh! anime ace monster, what would it be? Oh, man. I'm not very good at these. Yeah, because it's, it's fairly open. Uh, but we do know this, right, Paul? Uh, ace monsters have always been uh, dragons, spellcasters, and warriors. So, would you go away from that trend? I would. Yeah, I would. Okay. Um, I think it'd be fun to have, like, a beast. Yeah. I was actually... I was thinking... Just that. I was kind of thinking, what if we went more Pokemon-esque with the Yu-Gi-Oh! Ace Monster? What if it were actually some small, cute monster? 
yeah. that the main character would then like synchro climb or fusion climb up into like its evolved form to make it cooler and more beast like. Yeah, that feels very Digimon inspired. Yes, for sure. No, that's okay. I'm but not. I think that is. Uh, that's how I would design the next Yu-Gi-Oh Ace monster because I f- I think we've gotten really busy with our designs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like Deco Talker is kind of fine, but I look at Odd Eyes Pendulum Dragon as an example of I don't. What are we doing? Like, yeah, <laughs> we've done everything with dragons, and now we made this. I think that like they should kind of go for more animalistic designs. Like, I would like to see maybe like a tiger versus a wolf type of thing mm-hmm. like the main character uses like a tiger and the you know antagonist or the rival or something like uses like a wolf or maybe like instead of a dragon let's go with like a dinosaur as the rival's character and the, the hero uses you know just some i don't know like, like a lizard right so it's like a godzilla <laughs> reference type of thing like a, i don't know just something that's you know like just not like a dragon versus a kind of guy with armor the uh, but I, I but I, I really like the idea of uh, an ace monster that evolves kind mm-hmm. of in stages. I mean, all ace monsters do that to some degree, but I like it to have that progression from child to adult to like its ultimate form. See, and then that's where they can bring back the LV mechanic. Because God LV knows it's ace been, monster. <laughs> well, God knows the, the the LV thing's been like in need of like kind of a refresh. It's something that Konami should be Heck, revisiting. Every time Konami's had a chance to revisit it, they've chosen to ignore it. Yeah, they don't want to do that. The LV new horror support ignores it. Yeah, no, when LV. they retrained Silent Magician and Silent Swordsman, they ignored it for the most part. Like, I mean, LV it, as a mechanic, it sadly does not really work, but. If there's one thing that we know about Konami, it is that if they want something to work, they can make it really good. That's true. You take off some uh, once per turns. You don't archetype lock it. You drain a little personality. And then... like, oh, and make, give it give it like some repeatable disruption it can do every single turn. Yeah, level armed dragon level 10 can negate 10 things per turn. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like I... I think that the concept would be cool. I think that having a monster evolve as it actually levels up would be cool. Mm-hmm. And that would be a chance for Konami to bring back LV mechanics without introducing a new extra deck summoning method. God knows yeah. you don't need any. And then something that could be cool, especially with, with probably would help LVs, maybe if the, their forms weren't all in the main deck, making them brick and clog Yeah, they'd probably have to throw them into the extra deck. That would be the, like, the big way of doing maybe it. Maybe make them link monsters or something. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best thing. I don't know. I, links I, I already some, exist. Yeah, some I mix on links. I don't like them, but because like, but there could be a fun anything way to else do it. will be a subversion of how they work, right? If it's a fu- uh, LV fusion is not really a fusion. LV synchro is not really a fusion. That said, synchro. there isn't a link monster that has that aesthetic, like the just a monster that kind of is the same monster throughout. Because like they could got, all be link ones. Well, they, it could be a link one, and then the next one's link two, and the next one's link three, and the next one's link four. And, like, it actually goes all the way up to, like, link six or something, which is continuing forms like how a Digimon Which would be, be so obscene. Well, we already have link six monsters. They're all obnoxious. So. It's like, but, like, what, 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 what does a link six bring to the table? Like... A lot of arrows. Because, what, you can only really use three, right? Well, I guess if it's on your main board, you can... There's something there. I don't know. Um, Okay, well, anywho, let's get into the question. For me, though, for that question, I'm just more interested in not being like a dragon and a guy in armor. And I want to level it up. So I'll take whatever. Um, Okay. 
I noticed Paul plays slower decks. Like when I um, mentioned the decks that I play in Yu-Gi-Oh, <laughs> I noticed Paul plays slower decks. Um, if that's the case, why do you uh, upload no Edison content from a fellow Yugi boomer? Oh, we got into content again. Look at us. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this is actually kind of similar to the first question, I guess, in a little bit of a way, which is that uh, as a YouTuber, I had to honestly prioritize views a lot of the time. So um, it's an unfortunate reality, but that's like the platform that we're on. Uh, Edison content is just a little bit more niche. It's a popular niche. Yeah, it's a, it's a popular niche within like the Yu-Gi-Oh space, but it's just not something <clears throat> that I think could get maybe a huge amount of viewership. Like, if we did Edison content, it would have to be packaged in a way that reflects it. That like reflects the kind of viewership we expect it to get. Like, yeah, it's it's tricky. Now the person's right. I play a lot of kind of more mid rangey <laughs> slower paced decks. Um, in general, I like kind of playing eh, mid range control style things. Mm-hmm. So that's that's certainly that's that's true. But um, yeah, it's hard to. I don't know. I don't really know that I would want to do like a load of Edison content. I don't. I don't actually find Edison format like that enticing to me. I actually discussed this last week. It's I've played through Edison format. I was very competitive during. He Edison was outside format. back then. Yeah, I uh, I went to regionals and stuff. Like I really was. I was doing the thing. He got his first YCS top then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> you know, I I didn't. Um, I don't know. I don't really think it's something that I want to like really play for content a whole bunch. But what about you? What do you think? I I mean I like playing Edison for fun. Mm-hmm. I think Edison's a fun format, but. Like, I look, I look at it a lot like making a speed duel content. There just aren't that many eyes looking for Edison content. And the way that we would make Edison content, I don't think is exactly what that yeah. community would desire. That's another that's another really big problem, too. I'm really glad you mentioned it. Uh, the way that we kind of typically will make content is <clears throat> such that, like, we're trying to kind of have fun when we play. Mm-hmm. And, and this applies to, like, honestly, so many things that you make. A lot of people aren't, like, so, I'm trying to think of the best way to, like, the best words. Um, Use the worst ones. The worst words. You all suck. No. Um, so, Yu-Gi-Oh! is already kind of a niche, right? It's, it's a niche card game. Like, card games are niche. Yu-Gi-Oh! is a niche within that niche. And then, like, you could dig it down even deeper. Like, competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! is even smaller than just the brand of Yu-Gi-Oh! Well, obviously, then, in that case, Edison's an even smaller slice of that. But for many people who watch Yu-Gi-Oh! videos, they sort of... There's, like, this expectation that, like, the gameplay needs to be, like, extremely competitive and perfect. Right, yeah. And we get yeah. a lot of comments on many vids where it's like, you know, you misplayed here. Paul could have... Fin- like, this, this is the number one thing I see so often. Mm-hmm. Paul could have won here. Paul could have finished off Alec in this duel if he had just done this thing. And no one seems to, like, stop and think why I maybe didn't do that. Everyone's, because, like, there's, I get it, right? Like, if you were at the table at your local card shop and tournament in that situation, there would be no reason not to finish your play You take him out. Yeah, you would, you know, take the opportunity and strike. But it's like, you know, maybe stop for a moment and think, why, hmm, like, why didn't I finish Alec off when I had the, if you look at the, the time wrong card? <laughs> yeah, and, and a good hint is look at the video timestamp. Oh, it's like. Three minutes into the duel, I guess I could finish him off, and then the video ends, and that's your video. Oh, it's turn three. You know, it's turn three. 
he had the card that like sacked the boss monster and I won and the video's over. Did you enjoy it? I hope so. And I know like for some Yu-Gi-Oh players, it's kind of difficult to separate that like optimal, I could have won here thing from just the idea of like entertainment and just having a little bit of fun, letting the other guy play, having a back and forth. Right. But that's what we so often prioritize in our videos. So I think you're right. It wouldn't, if we did Edison, we would probably be playing it kind of the same way, and then there would be people who are, like, disgusted that this isn't the... It would be a bit of a disconnect. We'd want to play casual, fun Edison, but I feel like a lot of people who play Edison, they, they're building the they're topping to list. They're, they're, they're playing competitive Edison. They want to compete in that format. And we just want to mess around with fun synchros and stuff. And I mean, the thing is, too, like, Edison, by its very definition, actually, is a highly competitive thing. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, it masquerades as this fun, old-school Yu-Gi-Oh thing, but it's called YCS Edison, like, or it's called Edison format because it's based on, like, YCS Edison. Yep. That was, like, the cutoff, and it was, like, a competitive format still. And so there is going to be a bit of an expectation when you play that, that you will be playing, you know, optimally, and you'll be pushing to innovate and, you know, optimize combos and stuff, and, like, on video, and this applies to all of Yu-Gi-Oh, not just old formats, on video, you'll quickly realize competitive Yu-Gi-Oh content actually isn't very fun to, like, just watch in video because it ends fast. And it can be uninteractive and not very interesting. I, yeah, I was playing Edison in the, in the uh, shop just last week. Uh, a friend and I were playing Edison, and we were having a good time. Well, I was having a good time. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> I... I hit my opponent with... Uh, well, I was playing Gadgets, I should be clear. I was playing Gadgets, a very uh, slow, controlling deck. My opponent was playing this really cool Ojama Synchro like combo deck. And that was nice. And then I hit him with... Oh, forgot the name of the card. Oppression. Yep, I hit him with Royal Oppression. Yeah. Where I could just negate all types of special summons for 800 life points. And then I just did not let him summon a thing. Yeah, and it's very similar to why people maybe don't like Vanny's Emptiness or Max C or Floodgates or whatever. Uh, you know, like, the thing is, if that was like a duel that we were doing... We would not be running you know, Oppression, even though it was a run relevant oppression. card in that format. Yeah, exactly. Or if we were running Oppression, I would, like, negate one thing and then choose to not negate the next few things. Mm -hmm. And then maybe negate one more thing after that. Because at the end of the day, like, that's not, and to me, that is not, like, a fulfilling, entertaining duel for YouTube. Yeah. It's fine for locals. I want to win fast. I'll play the broken card and win. But, like, would that be something that, and if you're listening, I want a genuine answer. Like, some people maybe want to see that. They want to see, like, these blowout wins. But, then, I mean, if the video's over in two minutes, like, and that's just, I, I don't know that that's really. I, I mean, after that game, like, I was like, that wasn't very fun at all. I'm never going to run that deck playing Edison friendlies with with uh with people who actually just want to play just a simple friendly game. Never doing that again. I'm gonna I will find a more casual way to play an Edison deck. It won't be one of the topping lists. It won't be it will lack some powerful cards looking at your oppression. And you know that that's just gonna have to be how that goes and I don't think a lot of Edison enjoyers will be happy with that. Yeah, so long-winded way of saying that it is sometimes... Uh, I'm uh, probably not going to like make much Edison content, I guess. 
Yeah. Just because of the expectations around it. Oh, I need to grab a card. Anyway, your final card, sir. This time I'll get one with a note. There it is. And draw it before it's banned. <laughs> we have... How many archetypes can you fit in a deck and still call it, like, still that name the deck name. after that archetype? Oh, yeah, this is an age-old one. Um, or not age-old, so, but, like, probably within the last 10 years, it's become increasingly How debated. decks are, like, alphabet soup as far as you just take the name of every of every archetype in the deck and you just slam it together. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, I don't care for it because uh, those are typically... Not always, but typically like combo decks that go crazy. And I'm not, I don't like those decks. I'm not a fan. Nor I'm not I. good at them. Nor am I. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be frank about it. I, I honestly do not care a lot for pile decks in Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. I think that on the surface, there's a lot of innovation to be had there. It's fun to experiment with different types. And it's fun to combine them and create new things. Very exciting. However, I don't, what? <laughs> it's the way you, the, the way you looked while saying that. Very exciting. <laughs> Yes, I know. I mean, I, I get it. Like, it, there, it's that is part of the sales pitch, right? Mm-hmm. It's a game where you can make your own deck, and like, it can you can combine lots of different things, come up with cool, new, fun strategies. However, I'm not gonna lie, man. Sometimes I get on Master Duel, <laughs> and like, th- and these decks will go through like eight different engines, and it's just it's still their first turn, and like, we've been here for a while, and like, their end board is just. It's like six six different monsters that just all have these like obnoxious effects, and it's like, okay, we're like by engine five, I think we can like we can stop now. But know? I do think it's at least from my perspective, I think it's a little unfair um, because I only hate pile decks when they're combo decks. Right. Yeah. Because see, I like them when they're more mid range or control. Like I like the hat deck. Yeah, I think that those Hands, sorts of hybrids... artifacts, trap tricks. I like that deck. I think another one that I really liked was um like the invokes should all dogmatica kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was much more of like a mid range. It was a hybrid of like three different engines, but it wasn't you know super oppressive or anything. And that's probably my you know old schooly Yugi boomer whatever like you want to call it. I'll just call it player preference. Yeah, it's, it's, you yeah. don't have to call yourself old because I'm older. Okay, <laughs> well it, it's my it's my player preference coming out. That's selfish. I'm not saying it's like based in some rationality. I'm not seeking to have my mind change and argue about it. I'm just saying that when I have to face nine different engines in one combo, I'm ready to turn Master Duel off. You've killed four different engines, and you've used up your last hand trap, and then, what is it? Boot sector launch. Yeah, yeah. then the next one <laughs> shows up, and it leads into another. Okay, now I'm going to say one more thing about it. Uh, because this is probably closer to what the person maybe intended for with their question, I'm assuming, is, like, this whole... It's a little deceptive when someone's, like, interested in a deck and they see mm-hmm. that that deck topped a YCS. But in reality, that deck did not top... Like, okay. It was an end... It's like it was, with all the Diabell Star decks. Yeah. That um they only use, like, four or five, like, sinful spoil cards. Yeah, and that applies to so many archetypes. I mean, like, I've just seen people, like, add in the word, like, this is something, 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 burning abyss. Because it's really a Phantom Knight slash Infernoble slash whatever deck that happens to run, like, one um, Skarm and one, like, whatever the other burning, you know. Does it even run Dante? One, one like, Seer, and Dante's not even in there. It just runs, you know. 
it's like I could call my Drytron deck a Burning Abyss deck because uh, Beatrice is in there. Like, it's, I see how, like, if you're sort of looking to, like, see, oh, like, this deck won or this deck did well. I want to know a list about it. And then, like, you get on the list and then, like, it's nothing there. But, I mean, it's, there's also kind of a necessary part to that. Mm-hmm. Because you want to name the deck as accurately as possible, especially when you want to highlight what's different about this deck versus another deck that would be similar. Yeah. So you, you include the names of the important engines the important in engines. the deck. Just so people know what all to expect. Yeah. But you... Uh, so I think it, it can make it a little bit, I guess, deceptive if you're, like you're searching for a pure version of that deck. Mm-hmm. But you're right that it. I mean, they're just you can't blame them for just labeling what's in the deck. Yeah, so but that's technically, not there fault. are cards from those archetypes in the deck. It's just yeah. So it's kind of this like tug of war, I guess, between like innovation and like maybe tradition a little bit. And then the, the very vagueness of deck naming. Like, mm-hmm. Konami's never enforced much of anything when it comes to, like, naming your deck. It's just kind I mean, of... You, you can't name anything inappropriate. Yeah, I mean, you just kind That's of... It. You're just labeling a lot of archetypes, so... Like, really, I'm surprised no one's ever... Someone's probably done this, but uh, you fill out your deck list, and let's say you made a Shadal deck, and in the part for deck name, you just write just a completely different archetype's name up there. Actually, I don't even think that there is a slot for deck name in Yu-Gi-Oh. Is there not? No, you must be thinking of another game. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh doesn't have a slot for that. I thought we did have deck names. No, no originality allowed in this game. (laughs) No personality whatsoever. Um, So who's deciding these deck names? Just the Konami, like, staff people. The judges who are, like, writing up deck lists, they just kind of see Oh, I'm thinking of, like, maybe you're thinking of, like, why GoPro deck and stuff. Websites where you do get to upload decks. I mean, in Masterful, you can name your deck. You can name it all kinds of crazy stuff, but... Like, there's no your opponent there, won't see that. There's so. no rules or rhyme or, or reason to deck naming. Yeah. You can just name your you can name your deck Twilight Sparkle. That's a pony, right? Yeah, you can name sure. it Twilight Sparkle, and it could be a Drytron deck. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think it brings me back to the. Uh, there's like one skit where you made like a joke about like, oh, like, I want to play a Blue Eyes deck, and you look like a, you look up a Blue Eyes deck profile or combo video, and like the inboard has no Blue Eyes monsters. All the Blue Eyes were there for was to like be part of one aspect of the combo but it still calls itself a blue eyes deck and so now it's kind of like people walk away a little bit dissatisfied or they feel betrayed i mean you can, i mean it's i'm surprised there isn't some type of a naming scheme for decks in Yu-Gi-Oh given how long this game has been around but I mean, I guess no one would get like who gets some, who has the right to. Yeah, make there's the rules. no the only person who could mandate something like that would be Konami, and they just don't. Yeah, they don't get to shit. Like, <laughs> Konami doesn't care what you call your deck; they just want you to play and buy some cards. So, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, it happens. Um, or maybe I shouldn't even say the word unfortunately. Like, I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, what, well, yeah, yeah, as they say. Yeah, Now, um, as far as you know, how what do I think is the personal limit? Since that's kind of what the question is, uh, three maybe. I don't know. Like I think that once you have more than like three different archetypes in there, you're probably just. Yeah, but they named the know. card the deck Dia Bell Star, but they only ever run one or two copies. But she's everything. I don't know. Whatever that you guys could let me know what you think <laughs> about that. I I don't I, I just I've made my stance clear. I don't like ten engine pile decks. That's all. That's all I require. Please, Master. I think you should name your deck whatever archetype has the most cards in it. That's probably a good, good, actual way to look at it too. 
Well, anyways, that I think that's it for the pot of greed questions. Yeah, those were our two cards. Thank you all for joining us this week. Hopefully, you had a lot of fun. Um, be sure, as always, to drop a like on the video if you're watching on YouTube, or a five star review would be certainly appreciated over on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google. And shout out to everybody who's in the premiere who've made it to this point. Yeah. You guys are awesome. Remember that you can submit any uh, questions or topics or stories in the Google form linked below as well. And you might see them or hear about them from our pod itself. That is right. Anyways, we'll see you guys in the next one. Pass turn.